Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Today's podcast features Gabriel Villarreal. We're so excited to bring you today's podcast because, as you'll see very quickly, Gabriel is doing things that we've been preaching for years. He is aligning psychology with physiology in really meaningful ways. Specifically, he takes his practice through the filter of John Rady's work or consolidated work in the book Spark and is changing student outcomes in ways that are somewhat unprecedented. A little bit about Gabriel. He's the owner and founder of Lost Boy Strand Conditioning. He's the founder of Clinically Informed Coaching. He's a licensed professional counselor that's called an LPC. He has a master's in clinical mental health from Radford University. He's certified as an underground strength and conditioning coach through the Zach Evenesh certification course. Zach is the man. Go check out the episode that we recorded with him. Another really thoughtful guy in the field. And Gabriel is the founder and host of the Informed Consent Podcast. But like I said, we just genuinely like the guy. He's doing really good things. Uh, and I'm telling you, if this is a message to all the coaches who might want to work in high schools or universities, what you are doing in the weight room should map onto the rest of the person's life. Physical performance is not enough. Bigger, faster, stronger is good, but bigger, faster, stronger, smarter, more cooperative, etc. That's what moves you from good to great as a practitioner. So Gabriel is identifying things that he's doing in private practice, but a lot of us, regardless of our setting, can learn from and hope to apply where appropriate uh, in different areas of strength and conditioning. I think it's really, really meaningful stuff. So, so enjoy today's episode, take notes, and as always, please do subscribe to the podcast, share with the people you know, and leave a comment. We truly, truly want to hear from you. I started Lost Boy Strength and Conditioning, uh, my gym, back uh, in 2014, um, and I started that while I was working in community mental health, so uh, my degree is in clinical mental health, and so um, I started that while I was working in the community with kids at risk, and it was just a side gig, just morning, two morning classes. And uh, when you are fresh out of graduate school and you're really a counselor, uh, you can't really turn off some of those skills. Like you can't turn off your ears. Um, and I certainly can't turn off, um, you know, for me, part of the reason that I, that I became a therapist and a counselor is because uh, growing up, people were always just like, I can't believe I just told you that. Um, so for me, one of my just innate gifts is, is, is uh, being um, safe and comfortable. I, I had one of my uh, graduate school professors um, describe me and, and actually describe my voice in session as, as I know that I'm safe with you. Uh, when, when I'm in session, I know that no matter what I bring, no matter how terrible it may be, trauma-related or, or anything else, I know that you're going to be that that rock that's going to that's going to be able to keep together, um, and you're not going to recoil and not going to want to move away from it. And so that kind of stuff, like you just can't, I just can't turn off. That's just how I'm built, yeah, right? Um, as a person, and so um, you know, naturally, that just became part of my coaching style. And over time, like I told you, uh, members are crying under the bar. You know, they they do a max list, and you know, they they start crying after their their list, and we're like, we need to process this. Like, this is weird. I've never cried after a heavy lift. Uh, I've never heard of anyone talk about crying after a heavy lift. Let's process this. What's going on? And that's just sort of how it came along. And then, you know, years later, I uh, stumbled upon the book Spark. Um, by John Rady and was completely vindicated, uh, mostly because uh, that's what I've been telling all of my graduate school professors, like, hey, I think exercise is 100% beneficial for one's mental health. And this was in 2010. So that book had just come out. So they hadn't read it yet. And uh, they're like, no, nah, I don't think so. Like, therapy's good. Just stick with therapy. And then I read that book and I was like, well, here you go. I'm right. And so seeing Dude, how I, I can... I, I'm the, I have to cut you off. Be, just for one brief second because spark changed my life <laughs> yeah i'm telling you and it was probably around the same time uh, i think the book i think it was officially published in 08 08 it was on my shelf and i don't know 10 maybe and then i probably came at came found it a little after you but 
changed the game for mm-hmm. me completely. Yeah, 100% vindicated, um, especially with, uh, and I'm very open, I have ADHD. Uh, I have a private practice, I specialize in ADHD. And um, especially for that, for attention deficit uh, hyperactivity disorder, I was vindicated. I know if I work out, it definitely helps my my um, ADHD. And here's the data that proves it. And so, um, so I just kind of leaned into that uh, with some of my my members. Not really, not 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 to the extent that I am now. Um, but as the gym grew, those counseling skills came in, in in handy to motivate, to encourage, to get people past those those you know thresholds in the gym. And then before you know it, it's like you know what I quit my job because I, they weren't treating me well, and I, and this is what I deserve. And it's like I'm hearing, or or I apply for a new job, and you know, like I told you, people have only left our gym because they moved out of state. I applied to a new new uh, new job, and I'm you know moving to Minnesota or or wherever, and um, and I did that because of, of the gym because now I know what I'm worth and and that I deserve that, and I'm out of here. Um, and so that was another light bulb for me. Um, after I, I don't even know what the catalyst was, but I wrote an article for Travis Mash, uh, Lost Boy Strength and Conditioning is an affiliate of uh, Mashley Performance, and I wrote an article for him on exercise and mental health. That's still up. It's a little dated, but it's still up. Um, and he was like, "This is crazy. I didn't even know this was true." Um, and he and I, uh, excuse me, my wife and I went to go to a seminar of his uh, at his. Uh, you know, the, the gym that he just sold uh, when it had just opened and they were talking all about exercise and health and to close it out, he's like, we got a few minutes, Gabriel, come up here and talk about exercise and mental health. And I was like, <laughs> I'd just written the article like a couple of days ago and, and um, I sort of just got into a flow and, and told everyone that was there about everything that I had written about. And um, after we closed down, almost half of the people in attendance came up to me and were like, I need to know more. Like, I need to know more from my, from my kid. You know, my, uh, my my nephew has ADHD. My nephew is, is on the spectrum. Um, you know, my, my husband's best friend is depressed and he, he you know, doesn't want to work out, but we think he should. Um, and so I was like, holy crap, like, this is, you know, people are, are coming to me with, with this issue. And so um, that was a, that was three years ago, I think. And um, I knew, unfortunately, that I really couldn't do anything with that until I had my license to practice on my own. Mm-hmm. So I got my LPC, my license, professional, uh, my license to be a professional counselor in the state of Virginia last April. Uh, excuse me, two April. Uh, thanks. And um, then I was just kind of off to the races. And so now um, I have a not not currently because of COVID. Uh, but uh, for about a year and a half, I ran a kid's class just for ADHDers to give them that dosage of medication, in quotes, that they need for their ADHD. And uh, here recently, since I've had my license and because of COVID, my office is not huge, so we really can't do that whole six feet apart. I don't know what you know about ADHDers, but boundaries are hard to come by with ADHDers in the tiny office. So now what I've pivoted to is is a hybrid model of um, working out one-on-one with them and then sitting down in the gym and having a quick 30-minute session and doing that twice a week, not equaling an hour session um, and moving on. And so that's really what I'm I'm working on right now. Um, And then like like I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, Travis was, was really bugging me about writing this book. And so he and I did a series of talks in his super clinic series between 19 and uh, 2019, 2020. Um, and um, that really helped me outline what this book could be about. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I wrote it during COVID. Can't do anything else. So <laughs> That's awesome, dude. And what's the title of the book? The title is The Bridge Between Counseling and Coaching. It's really clear that um, there's amazing work going on. And I mean, this is very much, it's, it's in the title of the book. Amazing work going on on the coaching side of things. I think coaching as a profession has advanced massively, even over the last decade. There's just more going into it. There's a greater degree of understanding. There's more money in it at the top levels. Um, on the other side of that, there's a, a, so much more. I think we've made massive strides in the area of counseling 
therapy, uh, understanding of psychology, understanding of like the dynamics of the human mind. Uh, we've made massive strides. And one of the things that we talked about a lot last time was that although they're sort of growing in their own ways, maybe there's not enough that's connecting them. And man, doesn't that seem um, like a waste? You know, doesn't, you know, sure. shouldn't, shouldn't these coaches who are dealing with people in, in, in incredibly important times in their lives in emotionally charged states, shouldn't they have some awareness of what's going on uh, on this more therapeutic, uh, whole human understanding side of things? So I, I guess, uh, so that, that's where I assume the bridge between, you know, the, the bridge between counseling and coaching, it's in. Yeah, super, excuse me, super succinct. Uh, uh, I don't think I could have said it better myself. I, I, I think, um, you know, I think we started uh, part one off just talking about the sheer volume as a coach of people with uh, a mental disorder or mental illness um, to remove the stigma. I always just say a diagnosable mental health disorder, something that, that can be diagnosed. Um, it is so high. Um, it's, it's, uh, at any given time, it's like 30, 30%. So one, one in three people. Mm-hmm. And so, um, to, I, I just can't think of anything else where another profession is like, there's a 30% chance that I'm going to see something within the, you know, this client, uh, whether you're a doctor or a pediatrician or a chiropractor or whatever, and just not have, um, any kind of knowledge or even a barometer, it's not even on your radar at all that something could pop up. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, uh, I think the time is right. I think, um, coaches and I think the, the quote unquote, the fitness professionals, uh, on Instagram with their podcasts, um, their products are sort of trying to get in there. Um, and they're talking about breath work and mindfulness and, and, um, ice baths and all that stuff. Um, and so they're, they're kind of scratching the surface, but it's not, I mean, it's, it's an iceberg. They have no idea how deep this goes. Um, and I've been hearing a lot of talk for, I, I want to say five years where every now and then I'll, I'll be listening to a podcast and someone will bring this up, uh, mental health issues up, um, and not to, uh, disparage anybody, but they're almost always wrong. Like mm. they just, it's just not right information. Um, it might be a colloquialism. It might be a stereotype, uh, but very rarely are they speaking. Um, are, are they, you know, speaking in, in turn um, that's usually outside of school. Um, and so that was just more of a reason for me to be like, Hey, I'm in both fields. I might as well just give you guys this um, information that I, that I learned in my first year of graduate school. Um, and uh, that's actually how Travis Mash and I connected is, is he was beginning to see these things. And I was like, Hey, here's this book that has all the answers that you want. Like you keep asking me just read this book and, and not that I don't want to talk to Travis, but it was like, you can just have all this information at at bomb your hands. Um, but I think, um, yeah, there is a a, a thirst that wasn't there before. Mm. Um, point in fact, I have the the book that you're talking about. It's on sale and I email everyone that buys it. And I say, thank you for, for buying my book. Um, if um, you have any questions, concerns, comments, or you just want to carry this conversation on, uh, email me. And 100% of the time, have I got, when I do get a response back, 100% of the time it says, I had this idea that maybe these things were connected. Uh, and then I stumble on, on a podcast or I stumble on your book. And I'm going to email you back after I finish reading it. Um, and, uh, people know that there's a connection, but there's no one that's out there saying like, you're right. Here you go. Like, (laughs) here's your lane. Um, like a chauffeur, like, there you go. That's your spot. That's what you want. Um, there's no one doing that. Uh, so I think, um, yeah, I think everyone's ready for it. I think they are too. And you brought up a really uh, interesting idea with the mindfulness and the breath work stuff. And it seems to be like, you know, there's a lot of initiatives that might be um, sort of breaking into the conversation, but they're, but not getting to the depths of it. I I feel the same way about it. And um, actually what we've offered at, you know, at at our place and in my day job with the work, the project, we, we, 
identify this all the time. We are huge proponents of mindfulness and breath work and being thoughtful and all those things. But what we try to do, much like the way we were talking in the last podcast of, of using exercise to become a bodied, stimulated neurochemical state and then go do work, we recognize it as as, this, as step one. Right? <laughs> like like the, the mindfulness is to bring one into a state where this next set of ideas can be entertained or strategies or where we can begin to bring, bridge the gap because I don't know what you found, but oftentimes, well, I think we definitely agree on this. Like, you know, oftentimes you, there's a sort of paradox in, in counseling and therapy where, um, you know, if, if we had to identify one sort of person who could be helped, um, that person might find it really difficult to sit down and be still and confront their thoughts. So oftentimes they'll need a warm up like a uh, mm-hmm. mindfulness breathing or exercise to, to, to ground them. To gr- it's the perfect word, right? To ground them. But then you're mm-hmm. right. There's the obvious. There's this like you mentioned the Instagram. There's this growing market for it. But now we're in. What do we do? And here we've got it. Mm-hmm. Right. It's what's what's so funny is this is a perfect example where you're talking about something and there's a word for it because it's what my profession has been doing for like 80 years. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens all the time on, on when I'm listening to podcasts. I just texted. Um, actually, this was not just it was probably a month ago. Um, uh, maybe two episodes ago at the time of this recording, which is September 10th, uh, Zach Evanish uh, had. Uh, I want to say it was an Irish uh, gentleman on there. Um, Ferguson Connolly, I think. Man, it's a good memory. Um, um, and I texted Zach and I said, everything that you guys are hypothesis- hypothesizing about, there's a term for it in, in counseling. Um, and there's actually a lot of data that says you guys are 100% right. Um, and for me, it's always been about... Um, if someone's already kind of paved the way or done the work, then I'll just do what they're doing, but dial it up a little bit. Mm. And so um, I think that's where I come in. Is like a lot of these high-level coaches uh, that we're talking about do all these things already. Um, They just don't know that that there's uh, a technique and and that they could have been trained from day one to do these things. That's so interesting, man. I would say – so that's something that I – that resonates with me a lot. I think you're right. I think that the best probably do a lot of it instinctively, right? Is that fair? But just yes. and name what they're doing. And then would you agree that, that the, the, the concern there is not, you know, you know, at least our, you know, our hope would not be to call those people out necessarily, but to recognize that not until we name it, until we name the strategy, until we're like explicit about the thing that we are trying to do, the methods that we are taking, only then can we really evaluate where it's working, how to tweak it. And like you say, how to dial it up a notch. Yeah. Otherwise we're just trial and error uh, for decades. Um, And um, I know Zach well enough to know that he did not, uh, he's talked about a lot recently. The coach that he is now is not the coach that he was when he started out. Totally. Um, and uh, that's good. He should have, he should have evolved like we all should. Um, but um, a lot of these coaches have um, uh, innately this um, one or all of these tenets of counseling that we learn like, this isn't even first semester of graduate school in clinical mental health. This is like day one. Um, and these, these tenets of counseling um, are essentially um, where we're always operating from. Um, and these guys have it. They, they, yeah. It's just innate, uh, just like it is for a lot of counselors and therapists. It's just something that um, – that we know how to do and it's it's kind of automatic um, is that when you say tenants is that the the three tenants from your book yes those are the three tenants that that uh that i talk about in my book um unconditional positive regard um uh, authenticity um and oof, not, Emp- not empathy is the entry point um and empathy yeah thank you um and so one of the things that um that i um, if, I guess if you if you've ever heard of Zach, you know him talk, you know he's one hundred percent authentic. That is yeah, who he yeah, is yeah, yeah. all of the time. I mean, we talked about this on on 
on part one is uh you know the the metaphor of the 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 coach that's walking around with this you know gorilla chest out um who he is in the gym coaching uh kids like that versus you know him giving his one-year-old a bath not the same person um and there should be some um uh similarities they can't be two totally different personalities right that's not okay (laughs) right um and so a lot of these high level coaches good coaches that have been there they just have figured it out um and if they weren't you know it wasn't innate in them they learned that, that that's just how things are right yeah that's right and and that's um i i wonder we hear of coach burnout all the time in fact that's a pretty regular conversation in our lives these days but um i i wonder if that in part now i'm totally hypothesizing right now but i wonder no, you're right whatever you, I, I know what you're gonna say and you're right i like well then say it for me because you say it better and you, you're smarter so <laughs> Um, and it's, it's the same reason that counselors uh, burn out. And so what I think you're getting at is um, this tend of unconditional positive regard is that's where the burnout comes from is unconditional positive regard. The definition is no matter what you do, I will love you. Not in a romantic sense, but I will have love for you because I want you to be successful. I want to see you succeed. Right. Um, and if you fall off your diet one day, I'm not going to be like, I don't care. Do whatever you want to in here today. Don't follow my program. If you can't stick to the, to the nutrition protocols, then do whatever you want to. You know how to do it anyways. Like none of that. And that is a lot of coaches. Um, no and that's where the burnout comes out because it's it's how frustrating is that? It's like I'm telling you what to do. I'm giving you the answers and you're not doing it. And now I'm frustrated with you. Whereas if we have this unconditional positive regard, it's like that's where that's where Johnny is on his journey right now. Is uh, he's, he's slipping? Um, and the perfect example is is the addict. Uh, the addict is. Um, they're, they're going to slip, you know, in, in, in AA, it, it's constantly not uh, that you're going to be, you know, you're always in recovery. Um, it's not that you're never going to slip up again. And jokingly, it's like, there's always one more drink. There's always one last drink. Right. Um, and that's part of the journey is, is no one's perfect. And that is okay. And I love you for the journey that you're on and I want you to be successful and I will be here. Um, uh, to help you through that. Yeah, I love that unconditional positive regard. I, I, I'm, I'm going to use that verbatim. I hope you're comfortable with that. And and, and I've, I've sort of thought of a metaphor real time here. So feel free to shoot me down if this is no good. Oh no. But uh, when it pertains to the burnout thing, I'm thinking like the way a car operates. Like, you know, if if you're heavy gas, uh, you know, sort of the the picture that you were painting before. If you're this is it, my way or the highway, kid. And okay, you're not you know you're not do this or whatever and then you're pulling back and you but then you're that same person you're the father at home or whatever it might be and you, you know highly variable mm-hmm. i think you're going to waste mm-hmm. your gas fast whereas if you've got this sort of um thoughtful i would go ahead and say it's on the side of the ethical right place where it's this unconditional positive regard it's, it's almost like an operating cruise control it's not that you're it's not a mindless state of cruise but but certainly this is far more sustainable. Could we not approach every situation with positive regard? Forgive, you know, the bumps are a lot sm- uh, easier to roll over in this, in this state. And I was thinking, and maybe these metaphors, I don't want to use too many metaphors. I don't want to mix metaphors here, but part of it also, um, I think of, you, you mentioned, you know, if you're, if you're a totally different person in the gym than you are at home, then man, that's got to be exhausting in one place or other. Cause in one of those places you've got, you've got a mask on, you're playing a role um, that isn't you. So the authenticity piece, I mean, that makes complete sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is you're you're juggling two selves. Um, And um, yeah, that's not sustainable. No, not in, 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 in either way, because you're going to be too, you know, if you're, hopefully you're at least authentic with your family. Um, and if you're inauthentic with, with your nine to five, um, if, you know, if not longer, um, how exhausted are you going to be 
uh, when you're with your family? And are you going to be able to show up for them? Right. Not as effective in the nine to five and you're putting on all day and you're exhausted. All right. I'm putting you on the spot. Did you, do you feel like, and maybe I'm, I'm sitting early in career. Did you ever find yourself putting a mask on and, and playing a role? Is that why you know this stuff so well? Um, they, you know, the great thing about graduate school, uh, especially particularly in, in my program is they really do a good job of, um, uh, helping you remove that from, from your, um, uh, what's, what's the right word from your practice essentially. Um, so from like week three of graduate school, you're in what's called a triad. Um, and you're, uh, it's, it's you, another one of your peers in your cohort and another one of your peers in your cohort. And, um, you circulate. So one of you is a therapist for one person, the other one is the client. And then the other one is the observer. And the observer is taking notes mm -hmm. on good things that you did, things that you need to improve on. And you're just rotating every, um, I probably want to say every 30 minutes. Uh, so you meet for an hour and a half a week for the entire first semester. So that's like, I don't know, 15, 16 weeks. Um, and so not only are you seeing, um, uh, firsthand, you're observing a session and saying, okay, don't do that. That's not good. I got to keep that in the back of my mind, but you're also getting live feedback. Um, and then you're the client right after that. And you're like, I didn't like the way that they did this. So I'm not going to do that. Hmm. I didn't like the way that they said this. And, um, and in that situation is the client, are, are you inventing things or is, or are you actually, it's usually just talking about your day. Uh, grad school, as you know, is pretty stressful. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot that you're, um, uh, uh, you know, grasping for it's all there. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, and then even after that, that semester, then you move on to a practicum, which is with undergrads. Uh, so your, um, your clients are undergraduate students that opt for counseling as opposed to writing a, a term paper at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is just them talking about whatever. And then usually I always tried to schedule when my professor was going to be in the office so that he could watch my session live. Um, and then I could just come right out and say, lay it on me. Uh, what do I need to do to be better? Um, and then, then you have internship and then internship is, is two semesters after that. And, um, you're with a supervisor at like a real, you know, big boy job. Um, and your in, uh, internship supervisor is observing you and working with you. Uh, and then your internship, internship supervisor reports back to your teacher, your professor. Um, and then collectively the three of you guys dial things in. Yeah, I like that. Um, I, I got a question. So when you say lay it on me, have you always been that receptive to feedback? Or or is that something you built over time? Because I'll, I'll tell you that that's one of, the, one, of, one of the biggest skills that we've had to try to develop, and it's definitely work in progress, is reading the receptivity of the person mm. you're trying to support. Um, I will say... Uh, no, because uh, I, I chalk all that up to my ADHD. Um, you and I, I shared this last podcast as well is like the average ADHD year has like 30 or 3000 negative messages a day. And the average neurotypical person has like a hundred. Um, and so, um, I never wanted any help. I never wanted any feedback because that was just, um, uh, in addition to the already 3000 negative messages I got, um, right. but I got it into my head that, um, you know, my, 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 I guess my calling to the profession was that I had this, um, energy where, where people would just share with to me, uh, whatever was going on. And I didn't really have to do anything. Um, people would just say like, I'm having a bad day, you know, even as a teenager, like my mom and I got into a fight blah, 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 and, 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 um, and just listening, not really having any skill, but getting to graduate school and as an ADHD or struggling my entire academic career, I mean, tooth and nail struggling my entire academic career to getting to childhood psychopathology in my senior year of, of uh, undergrad and the class starting out with 30 people and 
it ending with three. But the final exam, only three people showed up because um, it was so hard. But for me, I was like, this is so much fun. What are you guys like? Yeah, Where is yeah, everybody? Yeah. This is awesome. Um, and it was super easy. Uh, and I got points taken off for like grammar. Uh, that's why I didn't get an A. Um, and so uh, recognizing like, I suck at all this stuff, but I'm really good at this. I want to be even better. So sign me up. Um, and that was something that I really, really pursued all the way through graduate school was like, give me more feedback. I want to be, this is the competitive person in me. I want to be the best in this entire, in this entire class. Uh, I may not have the, the best grades. I may not have straight A's of 4.0. Um, but I want to know that I'm, I'm the best. Um, that's where that came from. I like that. I like, I like the academic competition, especially when you're using it for a, for a positive outcome, is is there a term for the thing that you just described, which feels like it happens all the time? For you, it was built in three thousand negative comments a day. Um, for other people, people, you know, whether it's going through various degrees and forms of trauma or whatever it might be, um, what do you call that? I've always conceptualized it as sort of. Uh, you know, some people might call it a raw nerve. Like you tell the, the kid who's gotten mm. 3000 bits of negative feedback that, you know, um, Hey, change your grammar on this or whatever. They're just going to accept it differently than the one who only got 100. Obviously is, is there a, is, is it priming? Is that one way to think about it? Or, or what would that fall into? Would you say? I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, to be honest, I'm not totally sure I'm following you. Um, and that, and that may be why I'm not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just think I, I think if, if you've if you've been hit three thousand small times by a negative comment, yeah. then then when you get to this comment who that uh that, that maybe was was intended to be supportive in some way, but it's in, but it's it sounds like it's in the ballpark of the of critique that you're just so much further down that path because you've had that gotcha. three thousand. You know what I'm saying? So like almost like yes. you're, you're primed to read this thing that is supposed to be helpful uh-huh. differently than the kid who's only had a hundred negative comments. I I would um I would argue. Uh, it, you're only primed by the way that that message is delivered. Hmm. Um, and um, I, um, one, one of the things that I, that I probably need to write about more is this idea of love languages. I don't know if you've read the five love languages. I, I haven't read the full book, but I certainly am familiar with the concept. You know, you know the concept. Um, and so if I, um, you know, the inverse of that is, is not love languages, but it could be feedback. Um, and I, I, I uh, was explaining this concept to, not to keep name dropping, but I was uh, describing this process to Travis and saying that, you know, my love language is, uh, is physical touch. If you told me good job, um, doesn't mean anything because of all of my negative messages that I got growing up, whenever someone did give me positive feedback i was like you're just saying that yeah like i don't believe you um but if someone had a man in the back you know give me a thumbs up um something like that or, or a hug or something like that then i'm like oh I, I did do a good job yeah and so i would argue to your point we just need to figure out um how they can receive that message best and that should be like job number one as your coach as a coach mm-hmm. it's like how can I get through to this person? Um, you know, a lot of people talk about buy-in, um, but it's like we don't need to get, we don't need them to buy into you, to you or to your process or to your methods. We need them to trust you, so that when you give a suggestion or give feedback or actually coach, which is, you know, um, coach is derived from the word stagecoach. So take you from point A to point B. If I tell you how to get from point A to point B, you'll you'll trust me enough to just do it. Um, to me, that's part of it is figuring out how I can deliver this message. So they'll say, oh, from here to there. Okay, cool. I'll go right now. See you later. Totally. That makes sense. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'm just, I'm thinking of like the countless stories in my own life where, uh, 
we're, we're in, in the presence of a trusting relationship, like some of those amazing things that maybe in moments have happened. And I couldn't even necessarily, I, I mean this, I'm, I'm being self-reflective. I'm like, I don't even know that I could write up the strategy for what I did in those moments. I just know that we had, you know, the student and I had, had developed this trust over the, over the course of time. And then rapport. And it, it rapport, exactly right. And then, and then I also think back to like, probably when I've been, worst as a coach, or at least when I've been, you know, had bad responses, uh, there's no question that, that those moments happened in the absence of rapport. So I, I, there's just no way around it. Um, right. And that takes time that has to be built. Okay. So say a coach, um, wants to, uh, develop rapport. What, what would you say some keys to rapport are, or is it just kind of what you're saying? Like, um, this genuine desire to maybe seek like, to understand the kid more. I think, um, the, the best place for you guys to start off is the three tenets. Like if you can't have unconditional positive regard, authenticity and empathy, um, then it's going to be really hard. Like, even as uh, even children, young children know when you're not being real and they're like hiding behind mom's leg. Like mm, this guy seems kind of fake. Uh, like he's being overly happy or, or whatever. We can sense that. And if children can do that, of course your college athletes can be like, this guy's full of shit. Like, yeah, I'm not doing what he says. I may be like, okay, coach sounds good, but then go do whatever I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, step one is being, uh, you know, fully authentic and, uh, you know, kind of to the point that we talked about earlier, it's can be really hard to do. I mean, this is, yeah. this is, uh, an hour, um, for 15 weeks. So 15 hours of multiple people telling me like, that's not you. We hang around you all the time. We know that that's not you. Why are you talking like that? Why are you laughing that way? That's not you. <laughs> that's not how you do that. Um, to kind of, um, uh, work it out of you to mm. un, undo that um, that concept that you have from all of those um, movies that you've watched with the stuffy mm-hmm. therapist um, to undo all of that stuff. Um, start there. And it, cause it's, it's hard. And um, uh, I even say this in my book, like work on one of these tenants for like two weeks and then go to the next one for two weeks and then go to the next one for two weeks and then mm-hmm. start over. Yeah. And just keep working. Just keep working it. You, you yeah, I love that because one thing that we, you know, the, the, a fitness for this sort of thinking feels like a necessary thing. You know, someone can pick up your book and I, if you're listening, I definitely recommend it. Uh, you, you can pick up your book, but it's not done, right? It, like it's a process and, and you have to develop a fitness through it. I catch myself all the time being like, you know, feeling like I've got it. Um, you know, to, in, in, in one regard or other, three months later, I need to sort of check myself. And I think in, in the last episode, we talked a little bit about self-awareness and maybe for the practitioner, the person who's trying to, in, in real time, bridge the gap between counseling and coaching. I think to, to be honest with yourself, to develop a state of self-awareness so that you can hit these three tenets, man, like that has to be there, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And, it, you know, to bring the conversation full circle, uh, one of the best ways to tap into uh, your self insight is through mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. What absolutely. am I, what am I thinking right now? And can I see those thoughts come into my head where it's like, you know, Sarah's, you know, 15 minutes late again to class. All right, here we go. We got to yeah. change up the whole class because everyone's already done warming up and now she's got to find a place to, to, work in um and then say like let that go mm-hmm. and maybe sarah got uh you know her roommate was up all, all night uh she's in college and her roommate was up all night partying and she couldn't sleep and maybe she just got off the phone with her dad uh, and got some really bad news and is trying to put herself together um yeah. maybe she was tough you know, studying late. Um, yeah. Let's check in and see like what's going on. One of the things that I that I pride myself on, and I try to to, 
tell the coaches like this like this can be yours if you just read this book it's like when my when my members walk in i can i can tell instantly what's going on with them yeah i know okay today i need to have kid gloves uh today she's ready to go he's he's like bouncing he's ready to, to work out um i can just feel that energy um it, it, even to the point where um the way my gym is set up, I can't see anyone's faces when they're lifting. Um, but I can look at the back of their head and know if they're going to make a lift or not. Mm. And they'll walk it out. And I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Walk it back in. Go take a lap. Let's figure this out. I can I can see the gears turning from the back of your head. Um, uh, that is what I'm trying to figure out how to articulate to, to coaches. Because right. I don't know how I do that. I can just I can just tell. Um, and good coaches can do that as well. Travis has said, we both stood there and been like, she's going to miss. And both of us are right. She misses, um, because you can just see the gears turning. Maybe they're in the head. Like, okay, remember I got to, you know, knees out, uh, drive out of the bottom or the back, you know, all these things. And it's like, no, 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 you know, no mind empty, empty your mind mm. and just do just be there. Um, and, uh, if we can see those gears turning, then we know it's probably not going to happen. You're talking about something that's so important and so hard to teach at the same time. It, it, like it, yeah. cause I, I totally, I, I'm with you. I like, I, I, I don't mean to pat myself on the back, but on my good days, I'm a good coach. I'll, I'll say that on my best sure. days, I'm a pretty good coach. Uh, and, and, and so much of it is like, you know, a huge part of my job is staff development. And so much of it, I, I, I want to, but cannot give to my staff. I feel like, you know, I, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. talk about it. We debrief every day and, and we just say things like, here's, okay, here's this wacky decision I made and in, in how I adjusted the workout or whatever, or this, you know, joke I made. And here's why I made it. Cause I, I was reading the body language of X, Y, or Z, you know, but, but really, mm-hmm. I'm, it's almost like you're trying to leave a trail of crumbs to say, you know, but, but it's hard to get there fully. And that makes me think that, you know, that to, to practice empathy consistently and some people, maybe they do it intentionally or not, but, but uh, there's some sort of almost unspoken, isn't that almost the height of empathy? Like kind of get into someone's mind and, and, and emotional state and be able to uh, predict. Do you find on that? Um, do you find that you are naturally a good empathizer? Um, I think so. And so the reason I ask is in our last episode, we talked a lot about these superpowers for ADHDers. Um, and well, we didn't talk a lot about it. I mentioned that that's how I view ADHD when I, and and therapy is through the strength-based approach. We have superpowers and one of these superpowers that I, always forget to mention with because let's be honest none of my like eight-year-old boys care like i'm a great empathizer it's like that's not anything to to to, you know showboat with um but it actually is one of the superpowers for uh adhders is for whatever reason and i think it's because we get all those negative messages so we're like Mm -hmm. from you know kindergarten day one uh, we have had more <laughs> negative messages than the neurotypical person will be, will have up to like first grade. Like we've already got on on day one. Um, and so we just know what it's like. And so we're just so much more in tune with that. And, um, and I think that is, is definitely an asset as, as we can just, and that's part of empathy too, is it's not just, you know, for your listeners, the difference between empathy and sympathy is sympathy is like, I oh, mean, I know how you feel. Um, empathy is like, I am in your shoes and I'm feeling that emotion with you. Um, can, can I tell you a very quick story? Yeah. I, I hesitated when you asked it and I kind of said yes. And, and, you know, empathy, you know, I, there are days, especially in my younger days uh, when I, I mean, I lose my voice coaching. I, I, I really, I, I get out. I enjoy what I do. I've, I have plenty of energy and sometimes I'm loud, but I'm, I'm not like degrade. I'm not shouting at people, you know, we're like uh-huh. voice to cover the a football field and, and whatever you get the idea. But, uh, but I, if I do have intensity, I am fairly direct and I'm fairly gold driven and, and, and I try to get stuff done. So I, I, I wonder if there are people out there when they hear like, um, me immediately identify with this idea of empathy. I don't, I wonder if uh-huh. they pause, but here's the story. 
I was sitting and everyone will remain nameless in this story, but um, I was sitting in my office with someone um, and that person, we were having a conversation, nothing, I'm, Gabriel, I'm telling you, nothing uh, intense was going on at all. It was the lowest level of accountability possible, if you'd even call it that, literally questions like, how was your day? What did you do? Stuff mm-hmm. like this. And I'm te- I, I can't describe it because I've never felt it before quite in this way. But I'm telling you that I felt like, like a wave come off this person. Dude, I don't have any crystals or, or essential oils in my house. Like I'm not, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> a very science driven person, but this is my experience and I'm not fudging it at all. I felt like a wave of energy come off this person and I didn't know what it was and I didn't felt it before myself. And I'm telling you, that was like in three seconds after it's like the room is filling and three seconds after this person broke, had a panic attack and, and broke down and it was, it was sort of building up and, and came out and dude, I don't know. It was so why I, I get like the chills even thinking about it because yeah. Um, I would like to say that I read the body language and what to look for, but I, I had never seen a panic attack happen before. So that is that I'm not sure that was it. So, um, but was I trying to be in tune with this person and maybe empathy is, is, is if it's a skill one I have, I think possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, I, I don't know. Um, and I probably should, you know, I was so selfish during graduate school that I was not in tune to other people's experiences. I was just in tune to what was my experience and how I can be better. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know that everyone was like me and that we were natural empathizers. And we feel that those, we like literally feel the emotions like a gust of wind, like you're describing. I don't know that that happens for everyone. They may be able to empathize, but, but that energy it's you know as you're as you're talking about it i'm thinking of um we live in roanoke there's every now and then there's a tornado in southwest virginia uh Mm -hmm. it's been more recent um but i i remember my my wife saying like there's a tornado warning there's a tornado warning and i stepped outside i lived in memphis for like eight years and i was like there's not going to be a tornado tonight i'm going to bed Mm -hmm. there wasn't a tornado yeah there was another day where i stepped out uh leaving work when I, when I had a nine to five and I was like, Ugh. I was just like, there's going to be a tornado tonight. I texted my wife. I was like, where are you? She's like, oh, I'm headed home. I was like, you need to get home fast. There's going to be a tornado. She's like, what are you talking about? She's like, as long as she's lived here, there's never been a tornado. And I was like, there's going to be a tornado. Mm-hmm. Sure enough. It's, uh, if you've ne- never been around a tornado, the air gets real still and it, the air is electric. Mm-hmm. And, um, then you just, there's going to be a tornado and um and sure enough there was a tornado but sometimes yeah you're in session you can feel the thing coming before it comes before it's there um and um yeah i don't i don't know what that is but you know but it's it's it might be you know something so primal as well like something just right. beyond language that that because uh, no one you said you've never seen a panic attack before. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you've never even had a panic attack before. You don't know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, you didn't know what it was, but you knew what it was. Like, you were like, oh, this right. is what's going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, it's just beyond. All right. Anything. Well, I want to make, I want to say something really clear here. Your book is awesome and concrete for anyone who uh, is worried <laughs> that, that we're going to out in the ether here. But, but it does, I wonder, um, but because I don't want to leave this point quite yet because it, 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 it makes sense. Okay. Like proprioception. This is stuff that we're talking about. It, I, yeah. think it, I think it is, man. But like, like proprioception, uh, you know, uh, court vision and the NBA playoffs are going around. The guys who just had this inherent court, they can just understand space and time in the, in the context of their game, at least that they know what's going to open up. And it's not because the opposition is operating mechanically. They see they, the anticipation, like there's all sorts of like, um, in instinctual uh, stuff going on all the time. Why wouldn't one of our senses 
It's slow. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like as of yet uh, unidentified or named well, but uh, but it sounds like a lot of people have experienced it. This this. Yeah, I, I would to... I would say what it sounds like you're describing is is flow, and um, you know, I uh, in graduate school, none of my professors were real. Um, like athletic, even in their younger years. And they would always describe to me what, what sounded like flow, um, being just so in tune with the session. And sometimes you'll lose track of time and you look up and the session is over and you're like, oh, you're making such good progress. And I was like, sir, like you're talking about flow. Like mm-hmm. I played soccer, you know, through from elementary school, through college, um, not, for, not for college, but I wreck. And it's like every now and then you just hit it. You just get into flow and it's like, that sounds like what you're describing guys. And even in sessions, um, sometimes you will get into flow and it's just, it's a group flow. Everyone's, um, everything happens seamlessly. Um, and, uh, to me, I always said the goal for, uh, every session and it, 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 does not happen um, very, very often. Um, but the goal should be to get into flow is to have such a good relationship with your clients that you are getting into flow. Because um, as I had one young client describe it, um, I, I, I'm perfect in flow. I, I can't do wrong in flow. Um, and if two people are, are in flow together with the sole purpose of um, helping us get to a, a better achievement, that's money right there. Right. Hmm. I, uh, have you, have you read much of that research? Um, what's, what's the author's name? How do you pronounce it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Stephen Kotler or uh chick set me high. Chick set me high is it. And I can, and I know I'm always worried about pronouncing cause I think I'm going to get it wrong and I'm usually mm-hmm. right about that fact. But, um, if, if people haven't heard this term or are looking into more, I think they, I think they definitely need to look into it. It reminds me a lot of uh, the zone of proximal development, you know, conceptually, conceptually. But there does, uh, for people who've experienced it, there does seem to be this other sort of hard to name physical element to it, whether it's sensory or, or mm-hmm. I don't know, somehow in body. But um, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that's ultimately, in terms of behavior, in terms of ideal behavior, that's where we're all sort of aiming. I think, and, and you're right, whether I think I might have had similar experiences if someone's mm-hmm. trying to intellectualize um, a concept, it does seem like, wait a minute, aren't we trying to get right there where the balance of challenge and, and ability are where we found this nice steady flow and, and these other things are sort of clicking into place. I like that a lot. Um, okay, so say you're in a flow state. To pull back to your book, I don't want to give everything away, but the micro okay. the micro skills. Oh yeah, um, can I read them out? Please, is that right? Or, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Attending, observation, silence, minimal encouragers, paraphrasing and summarizing, questioning and feeling reflection. This is um, and you quote McClus- am I, McCluskey. McCluskey. Yeah. Yeah. Where is this stuff that you, this is, this is stuff that you came across in your that's, studies as well. That's uh, uh required reading for semester. Um, it? It's literally, uh, we, we literally just moved uh, last week. Otherwise I would have had it on hand. I think it's in that box over there. Um, but the book is just called micro skills. I mean, that's what it is. Um, and uh, those micro skills are, you know, six months into your coaching journey, when you, when you feel like you're being authentic uh, with everyone, you feel like you're, you're learning how to empathize appropriately with everyone. Um, and you do have that unconditional positive regard. Uh, okay. Now that I have all those things, rapport is built um, fast. I mean, in 60 minutes, that first day report should be solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, then you can start working those micro skills when, when you need to, this isn't like an everyday, uh, sure. every time someone steps into a gym, but it also, um, might be uh, these tools, these skills that you have, uh, at your disposal when you need them. Um, one of my favorite ones is silence, which a lot of people are really uncomfortable with silence. And so posing a question, uh, uh, we'll use the example of, uh, 
the gears turning. I can see my my members' uh, gears turning when they they walk out that bar. I can see them turning. I say, "Well, time out. Walk it back in." They walk back in. They turn around, and they're like, at this point, all my members know me. But maybe when they don't, or the first time that, that I've done it to them, they're kind of like, "What? I walked it up fine. Like I did. You know, one two step. I did everything that you the coach that you taught me. Uh, what's up?" And I'm like, "You're you're in you're in your head. What are you thinking about?" And not saying, not giving them anything. Are you thinking about this? Are you think about that? Are you think about this? What are you thinking about? Um, and sitting there and being prepared to sit there for 60 whole seconds uh, while they try to formulate an answer or really think about, they may not even know that they were thinking about anything. Right? Mm-hmm. They, we, they may have been thinking about anything, but it might not have been conscious. Uh, and then them saying, uh, I, was, I was worried I was gonna get stuck at the bottom. It's okay. And then let's, let's work through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you work through that with them and they, they hit the, hit the lift. And so um, being able to use them at the right time is uh, super, super helpful. Not, you know, to me, I, you know, we've already talked about speed of, of getting better that I have going on for myself, but it's also for them. It's like, I'm going to use these tools because I want to get them from point A to point B as fast as I can. Now I can mm-hmm. utilize silence um, or good questions, open questions uh, to do that. Then why wouldn't I do that? Shave two weeks off. It's really good. And, and, um, and I like the sort of the, the hierarchy of onboarding that you identify, like that these tenets come first, like none of this stuff. So, so hypothetically, let's imagine a situation where you were the micro skills before the three tenets. Like if, if you did what you just said, that exact situation and you, and you give a pause and you're asking these questions, but you haven't demonstrated authenticity and, then it, and it seems put on and, and this person doesn't trust you yet. It just, this mic, it, it falls flat. You know, it's not quite the same. Yeah. Cause it's like, uh, who am I going to tell this secret to? You know, right. sometimes you're with, you know, all my members have been with me uh, for at least three years, except for one. She's been with me for about a year and a half. No, yeah, year and a half. Um, and so um, I forgot where I was going with that. Um, that you've developed plenty of rapport and trust. They know yeah. you already. They do. And so I, I can't imagine, you know, a new coach coming in and trying to pick up where I left off and just be like, um, how's your mom? And, yeah, you know, totally. I know that, that, that mom is, is really sick. And on, on weeknights, you know, she's taking care of her mom. Um, and, you know, they're thinking mom's in hospice, uh, is going to put her in hospice, but he knows that, you know, the new coach only knows that, member and mom have a really good they're really tight and uh not knowing how what kind of spiral that can put that person in um that's a bad example but uh but i but i but i pick up on what you're saying though and that it kind of comes back to that thing i was trying to allude to earlier is like you can't there's nothing that can replace those three tenants there's nothing that can replace the rapport and the trust and you could even if you even if you were to be able to write a script for the person who's going to come jump in on your behalf like yeah i remember where i was going with that that with the with the the, the um the, the duration um is is we do have that that rapport that's built um but it's it's this long-term trust that I can share something that I may not have shared with anyone. So five years, I'm, I'm with Gabriel, been coaching him for five years. I've seen him three times. I've seen him three hours every week for five years. Uh, mm-hmm. The only other person that I see that often is my spouse and my kids. Right. Um, I'm not seeing my therapist that often. I'm not seeing my doctor. I'm not seeing anyone yeah. that often. And so, um, that's, you know, this is just more evidence why coaches need to have these skills. Cause it's like, it's you, man. They see yeah. you most. You're, you're the third place as, as, um, what's his name from Starbucks always used to say, um, uh, you know, work home and Starbucks is, oh, yeah. is your, yeah. you're the third place you are. And There's so no if doubt. you're the third place or the third person, you, you should have the skills to carry whatever's given to you. 
there's, there's no doubt. And that's, um, that's a perfect, that's such a poignant idea. And it's, it's one that I think people sometimes forget. I, you know, I, I, we are on the side of coaches. We both are. We want to educate, help, support, et cetera. We want to coach coaches, support coaches. But it, but it is clear that sometimes coaches forget kind of um, just how important their role is. You know, the role is incredibly significant. And I think that at the back end of every football season, I say that I'll often say that to the guys, like, you know, I, I, without, and it's not even close in that case. So, you know, there, there are folks that we train and it's, and it's multiple hours a week, oftentimes for years, just like you. And then you advance that to a football season. Now we're talking about six plus days a week, plus all sorts of other types of communication. And, and we say to them, like, in, in this case, you know, I don't have, um, uh, ch- children of my own or a family like that. So I do see the athletes I work with more than my family, my sister and my nephew and my, you know, my parents. And sure. So um, to not recognize that, that this thing that we are doing together, whether it's weightlifting or powerlifting or football is just so much bigger. The platform is so much bigger. Uh, I'll, I'll do you one better. So give it to me. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And this is sort of a question for listeners um, of your members. And it might be a little unfair, but of your members, how many weddings have you been to? Hmm. I've, I've been with the exception of one and it was just the timing just didn't work out. Um, but I've seen all but one of my members get married. Like this wow. is how long we, we've been. I've, I've gone to all of their weddings and um, I've seen uh, three babies born and they've seen ours, uh, my, my son born. Um, hmm. And, you know, they, for a long time, pre-COVID, I, you know, my son was at the gym with me in, in the mornings because he just get, gets up super early. Might as well come. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, if you're up, you're going. Um, and so, yeah, we all are just that, that close knit. And uh, it kind of goes back to um, the, the conversation that we had last week where I was saying, we're talking about fear. And the one coach in that conversation was like, none of my athletes seem to be that scared. And it's like, are they not scared or, or, or can, do they uh, not feel like they can share that with you because you haven't built that relationship with them. And it was like, the guy sat back in a seat. Um, and it's sort of that same thing too. It's like, do you not have, um, by the way, this is not the, the bar by which you should measure. It's like, I am failing as a coach because I've not been to one of my athletes weddings. Um, right, this right. is just an example of, of closeness and, and, ha- right. and how close you are with, with, with those people. Um, right. And so uh, uh, how do you do that is just through all of this rapport and relationship building. Well, you're right. And it is, um, it, it all, I hope people don't feel bad because they haven't been to a lot of weddings, but I think it is a good illustration. <laughs> it's a really good illustration in fact, of the culture that you guys have set up over there. And, and, um, and, and what you've done, it sounds like is you took this platform of strength and conditioning, um, and you made it more than it was. You, you, you built it out and you created, instead of just a place to lift a culture, it's a trusting, it's a community really is what it is. And in that community, you can do unbelievable things. That's where the micro skills, et cetera, essentially come into play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it doesn't uh, like you, you, I'm sorry, but you like, you didn't walk into that. You know, you made that, you built that, and that's impressive. I think you're giving me a little too much credit, but I also think that we can we can shoehorn these tenants in. Like that's just me. Like that's just yeah. You know, it's it's like um, it's like you just do one profession. It's like if you if you only did this job that you have where you're a coach, and then someone puts you in like an old folks home where you have to, to do gerontological coaching for them, like you're still going to view the world for a time through the lens of coaching, you know, collegiate athletes or whatever. Um, that's just your lens and eventually right. it'll, it'll change. And so the lens that I had was just counseling. And so it's just how I viewed coaching. Right. Um, so I think anyways, I think you're giving me too much credit, but I also think that that's just how, you know, these tenants are set up. It's like, that's authenticity. 
like there you go well i i, I appreciate your humility i i don't think i'm giving you too much credit i would say here's what i think everyone listening needs to pick up uh the book the bridge between counseling and coaching dig into it and what they might find is maybe maybe the people who've made it all the way through the podcast maybe these people are like you maybe they've been doing a lot of this stuff sort of um in you know just by nature of who they are but now they've got names for it and now they can work to build on it i think that's maybe. very true so, yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I, I have to imagine. And but I will mm -hmm. say that um, and the reason why I don't think I'm giving you too much credit is because even if you're you have a, a knack for it and even if you have a good understanding of it, you still have to do it day in, mm -hmm. day out. It's still work over time. And, and that it's obviously work that you are willing to do, which is the commendable part. For sure. Well, I appreciate that. That's <laughs> oh, true, man. Um, all right. Well, so so how do people how do people get a copy? So you uh, your listeners, if they want a copy, they can head over to clinicallyinformedcoaching.com. You can go to products, um, and I should have that free product that we talked about at the top of this uh, five tools for the clinically informed coach. It's a thirty minute overview of just five tools and five things that if you want to start on this journey and you're not ready to, to buy this book uh, to get your head in the right space mm -hmm. uh, much like this podcast was really I think everyone's gears are turning um, and then on that same page is is the book um, and like I said at the top of the episode is, is I email everyone to thank you um, and I want people to know because um, you know part of the reason why you and I got you know have gone to the weeds that we had to have two parts is mm -hmm. like there's so few people to have these conversations with. Right. Um, and so if, if I have a reader that, that is like, I, I want to have this conversation, but nobody at my gym, none of the other coaches want to have these conversations with, um, we need to feed that so that, that they can get momentum in, in their own coaching, in their own life. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them's up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T.com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.